Well, guys, now that all the blood's run from our brains down to our bellies, <laughs> we're going to open up God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the fellowship that we have tonight. It's just what we heard about last Lord's Day, Father, that we have fellowship with you. And because we are in Christ, we're brothers in Christ. We have fellowship with you and each other. It's a sweet thing, Father. And now we pray that you would speak to us through your word, Father, that you would touch every heart here, that we would respond to the Holy Spirit in us, moving us to holiness, Father, moving us to greater conformity to the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the time you've given us, and thank you for these men in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, guys, we're going to look at a passage tonight that might seem obscure, probably not one of your Awana memory passages, I would, <laughs> I would venture to guess. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 20, 35, verses 1 through 10. Jeremiah 35, 1 through 10. I'll read. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord in one of the chambers, then offer them wine to drink. So I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. I brought them to the house of the Lord into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. Then I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they answered, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard. But you shall live in tents all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us to drink no wine all our days, ourselves, our wives, our sons, or our daughters and not to build houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard or field or seed, but we have lived in tents and have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Let me tell you what's happening here. In the days of Jehu, king of Israel, there was a godly man named Jonadab who helped the king round up all the followers of Baal, and slaughtered them. And just to make sure his family wasn't seduced by any godless Canaanite influencers, he gave them a list of commands. No wine, no houses, no farms. Live as nomads. Keep moving. Now, it's not a sin to drink wine. It's not a sin to build houses or plant vineyards. But as the head of his household, Jonadab decided this was what was best for them. So he commanded his sons to command their sons to command their sons. And 250 years later, they were still obeying his commands. Wow. 
the baton of obedience was passed from one generation to the next in an unbroken chain for over 250 years. And listen to what God said, beginning in verse 18. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. If I read that right, there are Rechabites today. They live up near Athol. I'm telling you where they are. You're not surprised. The point is, God blessed the descendants of Jonadab for their obedience to their father. And I can tell you how the the Rechabites did this for 250 years in one word. It's a word example. From one generation to the next, Jonadab's descendants weren't simply following orders. They were following an example. Tonight, I want all of us to go home with one word burned into our hearts, and it's that word example. My primary application tonight will be toward your families, guys, but this goes way beyond our families. But let me say this. The most powerful force for leading your family to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ is your own godly example. Do you believe that? It's not Pastor Steve's example. It's not your wife's example. Your example. And guys, this is a sobering thought, but your family is following you for good or for ill. They're following you and it's not your words they're following, but they're following your life. A while back, I was talking to a man in our little town back in Northern California. <clears throat> His wife had died from a drug overdose. They found her body in the shower. And this poor gal had been a regular part of our church, not the rest of her family. And this guy was crying over his two sons. They'd both been in and out of trouble with the law. And I would see these guys in town, and they would always say, Oh, Pastor Doug, we'll see you on Sunday. So this man said to me, he said, I told them, Boys, you need to get back in church even if I'm not there. You need to be your own men. Don't wait on Dad. And I said to him, I said, I can guarantee you they aren't going to do what you say. They're going to do what they see you do. And none of them made it back to church. I read a study a while back that just blew my mind. When dad and mom are both consistent, regular in church, 33% of their kids end up as regular churchgoers. When only mom is consistent and dad is not, it goes down to 2%. (laughs) Here's the shocker. When mom doesn't go at all, but dad does, the number of kids who become regular churchgoers goes up to 44%, even more than when both mom and dad go. How do you explain that? I think when 
mom is disloyal to dad, doesn't follow his example, it increases the loyalty of their children to back dad up. That's the only way I could explain that. Amazing thing. So let me say it again. The most powerful force for leading your family to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ is your own godly example. It's more powerful than what they see on the internet. It's more powerful than peer pressure. And by the way, peer pressure is overrated. It's only as strong as family identity is weak. And what you haven't seen change by your lecturing and laying down the law can be conquered by your example. And I know this is men's night, but you all know that passage in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, where it says to wives, if they've got a husband who's disobedient to the word, how are they to change their husband? They can win their husband without a word. Some of you would like to see them try harder at that. (laughs) So tonight I'm just going to hammer in this one nail. I want to look at what the Scripture says about leading by example. I want to look at what short circuits your example and then three areas where your family desperately needs to see your example. So first, let's just see what the Scripture says about leading by example. I want you to think with me here. When Jesus found Peter and Andrew fishing in Galilee, we've all pictured that scene. They're they're out there. They've got their nets and their gear, and, and Jesus comes walking along the sea. What did he say to those men? Did he say, hey, guys, come take a seminary class from me? Come have a personal relationship with me. Um... Uh, Make a mini-series about me. Call it The Chosen. (laughs) You know what he said. He said, follow me. Follow me. The biblical definition of a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. At my last church, we kind of got into the habit of dropping the title Christian, and we started working towards calling each other Christ followers. Boy, that makes you accountable, doesn't it? Christ followers. Pastor Steve said in his email this week, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus, living by his agenda, obeying his commands, trusting in his all-sufficient care. Jesus meant what he said to those 12 men. He meant what he said. Watch me learn from me, listen to me, and follow my example. It just occurred to me this week that the last recorded words of Jesus to Peter were the very same as the first recorded words of Jesus to Peter. Remember in John chapter 21, verse 22, what he said to Peter? You follow me. I don't know that he trusted that Peter could remember too much. But he said, Peter, remember this. You follow me. And years later, Peter applied this to every Christian, including you and me here tonight. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? An example that you should follow in his steps. Literally, he meant watch how he walked, where he walked, and put your feet in his footsteps. 
every day. Amen. Just like those old rubber bracelets we wore back in the 90s, WWJD, we should literally be asking that question. You know, that got mocked, but there's nothing wrong with that question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this problem? How would Jesus handle this temptation? And brothers, you don't answer those questions by watching The Chosen. You answer those questions by reading the Gospels. I hope that's a lifelong habit. So every Christian is called to be a follower of Christ, to follow, but we're also called to be an example of following Christ to others. Every time I read these words of Paul, I just, I gasp to myself. 1 Corinthians 11.1, remember this? Paul writes, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Can you say that? Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. The word means to mimic. I mimic Christ. You can mimic me, and if you do that, you will be following Christ. Wow. And that's a sinner saying that, right? But one who by God's grace and the Spirit's power strove to say it and to mean it. And this was absolutely foundational to Paul's ministry strategy. He didn't just preach and teach because he knew that the most important things that he wanted to pass on were better caught than taught. He made sure his churches had a flesh and blood example to follow. 1 Corinthians four sixteen and 17, he writes, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and who will remind you of my ways which are in Christ because he imitates me just as I teach everywhere in every church. Philippians 4 verse 9, Paul writes, What you learned and received and heard and have seen in me. Practice these things. Remember how I kept my cool with those Jews who opposed us? You do the same when people oppose you. Remember how I always spoke the truth, but I always did it in love? You do the same. Paul communicated the gospel to the Philippians through his lips and through his life. And you know, lips can lie. Lives don't lie. So those Philippians heard from Paul how to get saved, and they saw in Paul what a saved person lives like. And Paul could say, you trace your life around mine and you will be tracing your life around the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, wow. But how encouraging that must have been to them. You know, there was no credibility gap between the message Paul preached and the life that he lived. And so when they watched Paul, they saw that it is possible for a Christian to live these high, lofty teachings that Paul was passing on to them. Aren't you encouraged when you see another Christian who is living out the Scriptures? I mean, it gives you hope that there's, there, there's hope for you. You can do the same thing. Paul said this to the Philippians while he was in jail in Rome. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul was 
in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. The Philippians are separated from him. They can't watch Paul. Paul says, while I'm in the slammer, though, I want you to keep on the lookout for other godly men. And you imitate those men. And here I would say men and women. Men always be on the lookout for people who live like Jesus Christ, men and women. I'll tell you, some of the most godly patterns and examples in my life have been women. And trace your life around theirs. That's biblical. When I was a baby Jesus freak, I was discipled by a guy who was just a little bit older than I was, but he was a godly man. And uh, we would meet together and we'd go over the scriptures and he'd give me memory verses. And I would constantly ask myself, what would Alan do? Um, How would Alan approach this situation? How would Alan solve this problem? My wife does that. She'll come to me and she'll say, what would John MacArthur do? I said, thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Win your husband without a word, will you? One of the greatest gifts you can give your kids or any other young Christian is the gift of godly spiritual heroes. Amen? Amen. Point them to Spurgeon, William Carey, Jonathan Edwards, Jim Elliott, John Piper. I hope you read Christian biographies, if for no other reason, and the biographies of so many godly missionaries for their example, for their example. Uh, my, over the years, my wife has pointed our daughters and many other young women to her spiritual mentor, Elizabeth Elliot, and to her spiritual mentor, Amy Carmichael. It's had an amazing impact on the lives of these women. And guys, I know we all feel inadequate to say, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, who do we think we are, Right. Timothy felt that way when Paul left him to shepherd the flock in Ephesus. So Paul wrote this to his young disciple, 1 Timothy 4.12. Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy, you live in such a way that people don't look down on your age, but they look up to your example. I can relate to Timothy. I was, I was 29 years old when I started pastoring. And I was called to pastor this church, and I was there for about six and a half years before we took our next church. But I was young. I was inexperienced. I, I didn't have a lot of tools in my belt And that was just a fact. I remember I longed for gray hair. I finally got it. Most of it fell out. (laughs) But I couldn't snap my fingers and suddenly become old and experienced. But by God's grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit, I could seek to set an example for my flock in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And men, I'm telling you tonight that by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, you can do the same. You can do the same. You can trace your life around Jesus so that others can trace their lives around you in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Don't other Christians need this? 
Paul did it. Timothy did it. You can do it. And this is spiritual leadership in the church and in your home. One word, example. Example. It's not about shouting orders and giving ultimatums. It's about laying down your life to provide a Christ-like example to others to trace their lives over in the practical daily stuff of life. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their, what? Conduct, imitate their faith. You heard their words, but more than that, you saw their lives. Now, you imitate the faith that resulted in that fruit. That's spiritual leadership. Peter exalted, exhorted every local church elder, 1 Peter 5, 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's a contrast there, isn't there? You can lead by being a bully, or you can lead by your own example. I've known at least three pastors personally who are out of the ministry because they were bullies. Let me ask you, how does Jesus lead his flock? How does Jesus lead you? In your own home when things are getting out of control, do you get big and loud or do you get like Jesus down on your knees and you start washing feet? John 13, 13 through 15, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example, an example that you also should do as I did to you. In other words, you treat others the way Jesus treats you. Jesus, strong and kind. I love that song. So the dishes are piling up in the sink. And everybody's busy. Nobody wants to take on the mountain. You can bark out some orders, or you can roll up your sleeves and do the dishes. You can set the family down and have a Bible study on being a servant, or you can set an example. You show them Jesus when they see you doing the hard stuff, the unpleasant stuff, and you know what that stuff is in your home. And your wife knows, your kids know, the grandkids know. (laughs) I'll tell you a story. I was in Uganda, um, and we were having a series of uh, conferences with pastors there. If you know anything about the culture of Uganda, of course, it, it was on marriage, and of course, a lot of those men were polygamous, had multiple wives. That's one problem. And think of all the mothers-in-law. But uh, (laughs) So we're doing a marriage conference. And um, I know that these men are very macho. They have billboards up in Uganda. Men, don't beat your wives, literally. So I'm going through a translator, and and I'm telling these, we kept holding up the Bible and saying, the Bible trumps culture. Your culture, our culture. The Bible. So I'm telling these men, I said, let me give you an application. You men are not so macho that you can't help your wives with the dishes. Nothing. There's like no response. And so afterwards, I, I, I asked my translator, 
And I said, so I thought I'd get some blowback on that when I mentioned him washing the dishes. He says, oh, I didn't tell him that. He said, what? He said, Uganda men don't wash dishes. I said, well, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> Bottom line, you can tell your family about Jesus or you can show them Jesus by your example. Mark 10, 45 says what? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Men, can you say to your family and even other men in this church, yes, I'm a sinner, but follow me as I'm doing the best I can to follow Christ. Well, what short circuits example? Now, many things might come to mind, but I just want to give you one tonight, guys, and it's this. It's when we make ourselves exceptions rather than examples. And you have to choose because you can't be both. It's one or the other. I'll never forget the banquet I attended years ago. It was in honor of a superintendent of a Christian school, a very large Christian school down in Southern California. And this was a white tablecloth linen napkin deal. And after the meal, I looked up at the head table where the superintendent should have been, he wasn't there. And I'm looking around the room. Finally, I see this guy, and he's going from table to table with a water pitcher, filling the glasses of his guests. And I thought to myself, that's why we're here honoring this man. He didn't see himself as an exception. Well, I know somebody needs to fill the water glasses, but hey, this banquet's about me. And because of that, he served as an example. So which one are you? Anytime you say, well, you should do this, but I don't need to do it. Or you should never do that, but I can get away with it. You're an exception, and you're no longer an example. Do you expect your family to abide by certain rules? Uh, they shouldn't watch R-rated movies or play raunchy video games. They can't handle that stuff. But you're so spiritual. You're so discerning. You can handle that. You're an exception. The rules that apply to other people don't really apply to you because you've got a special deal going with God, you see. Well, you might be an exception, but you're not an example. You forfeit your opportunity. Paul knew this principle, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Look at this. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves, what? An example to imitate. That's exactly what he was saying. He says, guys, if, if anybody has the right to live off of love offerings, it's me. But I refuse to do that. I refuse to be an exception because I wanted to be an example that you could imitate. You can watch us and you can do as we do. So are you getting this? Can you think of any areas where you live as though the rules don't apply to you? The best book on leadership in the Bible is the book of Nehemiah. What a book. And Nehemiah was such a powerful leader because of his integrity. He refused to make himself an exception so that he could serve 
as an example. Let's look at a passage together. It's kind of long, but we can look at it. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. No wonder people followed Nehemiah. Don't you wish we had leaders like this in our own government? But the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. Think with me. The very essence of Jesus' incarnation lie in the fact that He did not make Himself an exception to us in anything except sin. Man, you read Hebrews chapter 2. If the children take on flesh, He'll take on flesh. I mean, all, all of it. He was a real man, a real human, right? Yeah, Jesus had B.O. Yeah, Jesus, this idea that Jesus never got sick, where do we read that? He was a real man. He is a real man. There's no expiration date on the incarnation, man. Like us in every way. Don't ever downplay Jesus' humanity. If they're tempted, he'll be tempted. If they have to suffer, he'll suffer. If they have to die, he'll die. And because he did, we have a Savior. And men, you will pay a heavy price to be an example. You'll have to crucify your own desires, right? But what a priceless gift you will give to your family and this church. So where does your family need to see your example? I'm just going to give you three really quickly. And you guys, I would encourage you, jot down more. Jot down some more. Number one, they need to see an example of submission to Christ. They need to see that modeled. They need to see what that looks like. For someone to really bow the knee to Jesus as Lord and follow him as Lord... Now, I want you to look at a passage that you might not expect. Ephesians 5.24. You guys probably have this memorized, right? Yeah. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Honey, you get that? Now, bring me my, my pipe and slippers, right? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. Look at this verse carefully. Who is the church? Who is the church? You are. If you're a Christian, you are. If you're a believer, you're part of Christ's church, Christ's bride. So husbands, let's read this again. Now in the same way as you submit to Christ, 
so also your wives should submit to you. You get what I'm saying? If you're a Christian husband, you're a part of the bride before you're a groom. Chew on that. So what Paul is saying is your wives should be able to learn what it means for them to submit to your headship by watching how you submit to Christ's headship. That's what he's saying there. Wow. You don't demand or command submission from your wife. You model it by your own submission to Jesus Christ. And I'll just say this. If you think your wife has a problem with submission, you might need to look in the mirror because maybe the problem is that she doesn't see it the way she should in you. And guys, I want to encourage you to let your family see how you work out your walk with God. Let them see that. Put it on display. I I, I mean, be intentional. Let your family see you reading your Bible daily. You know, sometimes we do this stuff. The kids go to bed or, you know, we get away in a corner somewhere. We do. Let the family see what you're doing. Uh, Let them hear you praying out loud with them, without them. Talk about how you make decisions about money that will honor Christ with them. If you're struggling with something, share it with your family. Have a family meeting. Ask them all to pray with you. As men, we like to keep those things private. I'm saying put it on display for the sake of your family to serve them. And let them see by watching your life that the things of Christ, the things above that Doug talked about a couple weeks ago in church, that those things bring you more joy than any worldly pleasure. Let them see that. Uh, A while back, my daughter Rachel wrote a story in her blog from her childhood that I I had never heard. I didn't remember it. She said that when she was little one morning after church, I said I had some really exciting news for the family. I think she was about eight or nine, and she was absolutely certain that I was going to announce that we were going to go to Disneyland. (laughs) So... Instead, I gathered the family together and told them that someone had come to know Christ that morning. She said, I was so disappointed at the time, but I never forgot that for my dad, the most exciting news in the world was someone coming to Jesus Christ. Well, guys, that's caught. It's not taught. Secondly, they need an example of grace and forgiveness. Luke 6.36, the Lord Jesus said, Be merciful just as... Your Father is merciful. Just as God is merciful and patient and gracious and forgiving to you, how many times? Seven times 70. So you treat others the same way. You know, we can hear sermons and Bible studies on this, but this is better caught than taught, right? How many times has God graciously spared you the consequences that your sins deserved? (laughs) Right? How many opportunities do you have to model that same grace for your family every day? Yes, you need to administer discipline, and sometimes there need to be consequences. You know, sometimes they just need grace, right? Sometimes they just need to hear Jesus' words, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Several years ago, I had a solid mahogany Takamini guitar best guitar I ever had. I've had Taylors and Martins. This was my favorite guitar ever. And uh, one day my oldest, Joel might remember this story. (laughs) One day my oldest son, Joel's my youngest son, my oldest son 
took my guitar down to the garage to play it, and when he was done, he left the case right in the middle of the garage. Later that day, we had the family in the van, and we drove up our driveway into the garage, crunch, right on my solid walnut Takamani guitar. And the kids' eyes were like, you know, they're holding their breath. You know, what's dad going to say? What's dad going to Well, by God's grace, I kept my cool and let it go. And that made a deep impression on my kids. Not nearly as deep as the impression on my solid mahogany Takamani guitar. I want to tell you that. <laughs> Guys, I would say pray about being ready. Pray about being ready for the next opportunity to set an example of grace and forgiveness. Thirdly, they need an example of confession and repentance. Your wife and kids know that you're a sinner, but do they know that you know? When's the last time they heard you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and I've asked for God's forgiveness, and I'm asking for yours? When's the last time? I don't think anything will have a greater spiritual impact on your family than giving them an example, a model, a pattern of a sinner who can come clean about his sins because he knows that he has a merciful Savior in Christ. Several years ago, a dear pastor friend of mine, he's with the Lord now, but he had an opportunity to go to Germany and speak on a cruise with John Piper. And they were having a, it was a pastor's conference. And they had a Q&A. And someone asked John Piper if he had it to do all over again, was there anything he would do differently as a dad? And he said this, I would be more open about my sins and my failings. I would let my family see that I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace. Guys, do you model to your family how to recover from your sins, how to get up once you fall? I wish I'd done that more. So the question for you and me tonight isn't, are you setting an example for your family? Because you are. I am. The question is, what kind of example are we setting before them? Evil in this world is accelerating like nothing I've ever seen, nothing you have ever seen. I can guarantee that. The stuff we chuckled about a few months ago is not a laughing matter anymore. Every day your family is being pulled toward hell. Will they follow you as you follow Christ or will they follow the world and perish? I want to close by reminding you of two dads who were both warned by God that judgment was coming and they needed to warn their families of coming destruction. Noah and Lot. How did Noah's family respond when Noah told them that God was going to destroy the earth with a worldwide flood, water was going to pour down from the skies, gush up from the ground, And everything would be wiped out except for them if they would obey their father. Genesis 7, 7. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. 
1 Peter 3.20 says, A few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. No arguments, no hesitations. Why? Well, because for 120 years, they'd seen that godly man working away on a project that made about as much sense to his neighbors as a flying saucer. And 2 Peter 2.5 tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, for that 120 years, every day as he's hammering and nailing and sawing, they would come out to mock him, belittle him. Hey, Noah, what's with a weird house you're building? You got a permit for that? <laughs> and he would preach to them of the judgment to come and call on them to repent. And his family was watching him the whole time. This is what they saw. Genesis 6.22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis 7.5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah followed God. His family followed Noah. And they were saved from destruction. But they weren't just following his orders. They were following his example. Then there was Lot. God also warned Lot that his family's city, Sodom, was going to be destroyed, fire and brimstone. Now this is the city that Lot willingly, uh, eagerly, perhaps, moved his family to even though he knew it was a horrible place. Genesis 13. I think we miss the fact that in Genesis 14, Lot and his family were taken captive, right? Removed from Sodom. Abram and his posse came, rescued them. But in chapter 19, where do we find Lot and his family? They're back in Sodom. He moved them back to Sodom. And now they're firmly planted. He's an elder in the town, sitting in the gates, president of the Rotary Club. Daughters are cheerleaders at Sodom High. How did, his, how did his sons-in-law respond when he told them what God was going to do? Genesis 19, 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. He seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Nah, the old man's pulling our leg. God's, God's going to destroy our city because it's so wicked, right? Then why did Lot move his family here? Twice. <laughs> you almost had us, Lot. Good one. And just like Noah's family, they didn't follow his words. They followed his example. And they perished, including Lot's wife. Noah's family was saved. Lot's family was lost. And in both cases, it was the example of the fathers that made the difference. So men, how will your family respond when you tell them about the judgment of God to come? You say, what can I do? You can offer up your one life 
as an example to others of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how we need your grace. How we need your grace, Father. We feel so inadequate as men. We just, it seems like we've always got a mirror up in front of our faces where we just see nothing but our failures and our, our mistakes and where we have fallen short, not kept our word, not been the example that we should be. But Father, we need to remember those words that Paul said, that our adequacy is from God. And Father, help us to remember too that there is no better example No more precious example that we can give to our families than changing, than repenting, and turning around, admitting our failings, and humbly coming back to our merciful Lord and Savior Jesus. Help us, Father, to give our lives to be that example, Father, to our families, even to other men, even men here. We ask it in Christ's name.